Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Full of frustration, full of despair, from years of hurt, disappointment and relegation, two British football fans have had enough. Canary Bird Elliot Holman and Wanderer Henry Hewitt are in search of glory, pride, passion, in search of silverware. And they found Major League Soccer. Welcome to the MLS UK show. I'm Henry Hewitt. Once again, without my right-hand man, Elliot Holman, who is still on his honeymoon in Bali. And to be honest, going off the photos on his Instagram, I'd be very surprised whether he actually does come back or not. But hey, until we find out whether he does, let's continue with our month of interviews here on the MLS UK show. Throughout August, we are speaking to some of the biggest names in MLS. Last time out, we heard from Danny Higginbottom. That was a two-part interview where he talks about moving over to the States to cover MLS, uh, his time in the EPL, and being managed by Sir Alex Ferguson as well. So it's well worth checking that out. Go back on your podcast provider, go back on YouTube, and uh, watch that um, after you've watched this episode, of course. We've hopefully got another interview next week, but for now, we're going to be speaking to, well, someone who needs no introduction, especially amongst MLS fans, Andrew Weeby. You know him from the Extra Time podcast through MLS. He writes at MLSsoccer.com. He does Twitter spaces with Charlie Davis uh, about power rankings. He's been a legend in the MLS field for over 10 years. So I'm going to be picking his brains about how his early life in soccer, um, how he got to love the sport, working uh, for MLS and his thoughts on MLS right now. But before that, I just need to give a massive shout out to our sponsors, Soccer90.com. They're the best place to get your MLS jerseys, MLS, well, extra stuff as well. Uh, they're based out of Dallas at FC Dallas's stadium. Uh, they also do Liga MX, EPL, La Liga shirts, PSG shirts as well, and international stuff ahead of the World Cup. Once you go to Soccer90.com, once you discover all the many things and what you want to put in your basket, at the checkout, in the discount code, type in MLSUK and you'll get an extra 20% off as well. So it's well worth doing. That's thanks from us and Soccer90.com. But for now, it's time to hear from a legend in MLS broadcasting. Here's what happened when I spoke to Andrew Wiebe. The MLS UK Show. Live from New York, New York, Andrew Weeby is on the show. How are you, Andrew? Yeah, I'm doing well. It's so funny. Like When you say that, uh, I can feel it in my gut, but I also know now that I'm not in New York, New York, obviously in Kansas City, Missouri, but we've held on to it because it's just, you know, it's the iconic It's the iconic open from the show. It's uh, it, it was my attempt to follow up the Nick Fershaw years of extra time for those of you that have listened to the show for what is now more than a decade. Uh, and he had his uh, oh, greetings, greetings, and welcome. And when I was a you know a panelist, I guess you would call it, or an, uh, you know not hosting the show, I was always like, man, if I ever host this thing, how am I going to follow that up? I have to have something. Uh, so yeah, I'm not in New York, New York anymore, but maybe uh, maybe someday in the ne- in the near future. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here. Great to be on the other side of the microphone. Yeah, well, when you uh, you, t- you messaged me and saying, "Oh, well, can we do this?" At, and you said Central Time, I was like, "Wait a minute, I've uh, that's not quite New York, New York." So, but I thought I've got to do it. I, this is my one opportunity to get that. I've got to do it. Have you heard the Bobby Warshaw attempts at "Oh, uh, ah" from New York, New York? He used to really <laughs> delight in yanking my chain by doing that. So, 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I, if you don't know where that came from, uh, it is a Kansas reference as well. When I went to KU, uh, Russell Robinson, uh, who is from uh, New York City, I believe he grew up in the Bronx. When they introduced him, he was always the first player introduced. And I have, it's on the other side of the wall here, but I have a signed Russell Robinson jersey as well. It was the one I bought my freshman year. I grew up loving KU basketball. And his intro was always like on the PA. Oh, from New York, New York. And I would I would stand up. You know, I'm a 19-year-old kid, and I just loved it. Uh, and so when it came time to, to give my little tagline, uh, that's an honor honorary uh, reference to Russell Robinson for those uh, KU and college basketball nerds out there. National champion, national champion. Hey, as you know, it's not a massive sport in the UK, so I'll have to take your word for it. But uh, go team, I'm on your side, <laughs> rooting for you guys. Um, do you do you miss like New York? Obviously, you're working there in the MLS offices. Do you do you miss that now you're back, Casey? I do. Um, you know, my wife and I met there. My wife and I both spent about a decade there before we came back here. And I'm from Wichita, Kansas, and I went to KU and I lived here for a year. So Kansas City is pretty comfortable uh, for me, a little less comfortable for her, but it's it's getting there. I have family here. All that's great. But, you know, we left in the middle of the pandemic and it, it was sort of strange because you spend a decade somewhere. It becomes your home. It becomes this place that you sort of, you know, I'm not going to come out and say, hey, I'm a New Yorker. Uh, but I had my I had my time being one, I think. And I, I think that's the beauty of the city. We just had to say goodbye so abruptly. You know, we'd built this life, this big friend group, this sort of, you know, the habits and the little intricacies uh, of home. And in the pandemic, it just it just wasn't working. You know, we had our second son. Uh, we had to leave the city to have him, went to California to be with her family, came back. We're stuck in an apartment with two kids under under three at that time. And it just it just didn't work. Uh, it wasn't working for us. And basically it felt like in the middle of the night, we just had to pack up and move. And we bought a house off FaceTime in Kansas city. And uh, so do I miss it? Yeah, I miss it. I miss, I miss every aspect of it. I miss the energy. I miss walking out my door and just sort of absorbing that, you know, people call it hustle and bustle, but just absorbing sort of the humanity that's around you all the time. I miss the diversity. I miss the opportunities. Uh, whether it be culturally or within the ability to meet people or just sort of the ambition that's flowing around. I miss the lifestyle. Like I, there's nothing, I, I, the thing I might miss the most is is just pedestrian lifestyle and the way that that lifestyle connects you to a city and to your neighbors and to the people around you, even if you never even talk to them. You know, you see the same people at the train stop. You you have your habits in the morning. I miss reading on the on the train having two hours a day in that sense to do something I love that I don't really have as much time to do now. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm most of all, probably I miss my friends. Uh, I still get to see them. I just went to a, a wedding with a bunch of MLS folks in San Diego and that was such a breath of fresh air, but yeah, it just sort of felt like we had to, um, sneak out in the middle of the night. And in a lot of ways we did, we packed up, we moved and it was just goodbye. And I haven't been back since my wife has, but I haven't, but you know, things happen for a reason. We had to make the decision we had to make for our family and it, it seems there's a possibility I could be back. You know, we I don't I can't speak to what's going to happen with the Apple deal for MLS. I just know that it's a wonderful thing for the league and it's going to drive um, drive the league forward in, in great ways. And I hope to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, there's a possibility I could be back. So uh, it's not a forever goodbye, but it was a tough goodbye in the moment. I'll definitely say that. Yeah, I, t I totally get what you mean, because uh, I know this is on a much smaller scale, but I I'm from Manchester. I live in Manchester. My wife is from, uh, lives brought up on a farm a, an hour away. And like when we're here, we live here. And when we go back to her family's house, it's like even the small things like going on Uber Eats and trying to get a, like a takeaway, non-existent. You've got nothing out there. You've got no shops or anything. So I can imagine leaving New York and the hustle bustle is, yeah, it's a different world. And I want to just shout out the people of Kansas City and the city as a whole as well, because this is a wonderful city. It's a great place to live. It has so many things to do. And, you know, it, it's growth from when I lived in it when I was 24, 25 until now it is honestly shocking. Like I came back and I was like, you know, and I had been back for work, but to come back and live is a different thing. And I, I was just sort of thought to myself, wow, the growth here, the entrepreneurship, the, you know, the young people that are driving things, the different sort of areas that they've built up and developed. Uh, this city is, you know, it's a it's a great city, but New York City is the greatest city in the world. And that's my personal opinion. I, I'm not the only one who believes that, but I, I just, 
you know, that, New York City really shaped me. And I, I've said a lot, I've said a lot, like I kind of went there and even though I was 24, 25, you know, I wasn't like most of us, I wasn't fully formed as a person. And I still, I'm still not, but it really formed me. It gave me an opportunity to sort of reset my life and reset myself, which is not to say that I was, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I was in dire straits. I was, you know, X, Y, Z. No, I was a happy person, but I didn't really know who I was. And in being in New York, in being in this big, you know, fishbowl where you're just such a small fish and you can sort of redefine yourself, it really was uh, my growing up period as a person. And it's where I met my wife. It's where I had my first son. It has all these just sort of intrinsic, life-changing, never going to forget them, wonderful, defining memories. And we we cherish that as a family. We cherish that. So um, if we look at you in the now, then, before we go back and look at, uh, you know, the start of your career and how you got into soccer, you now, uh, we're talking after you've just taken the, you know, the kids to school um, like what's a normal day for Andrew Weeby? Because we see you on extra time. We see you doing stuff for MLS, but what is a normal day for you? A normal day, wake up, um, you know, get my, my sons out of bed, eat breakfast, convince them to put on shoes, uh, try to usher them out the door. Like, you know, the typical of, of a young family herding cats and, uh, yeah, take them off to school. They just started a new school. That transition's been awesome for them. Um, we were a little worried, but happy with how that's gone. I come back. I, I come down here to my soccer dungeon, and I just I start watching. I start listening. I start reading. You know, on extra time days, we will start our uh, pre-show meeting about 11 a.m. Central Time. And, you know, depending on, on how much we want to talk about that's not soccer-related, that could be 30 minutes or an hour and a half. Uh, you know, that that show um, outside of my family really is what helped me get through the pandemic the most. Those are, you know, true core friendships um, in my life. And I think all the guys on the show would say the same thing. And, and that's what makes the show work. That's the same as it was when it was, you know, way back in the day when it was first Shaw and Sagini and uh, Borg and, and Lawless. You know, and as it transitioned into different forms, you know, Kalen, Charlie, you know, Dave, Doyle, myself, like we get on our pre-show meetings and, and just as much as it's about talking about we're going to be on the show, it's about catching up with each other. And, and during the pandemic, when everybody was so isolated and you're in your own little bubble and we'd had years and years and years of spending these four hours a day, twice a week with each other, you know, that that was really sort of like filled me up, my soul up, really reconnected me with people that I love and care about and who are my friends. So um, that goes to what my day to day is like in a lot of ways. I feel extremely fortunate to basically be able to, you know, and this, this sounds sort of crass and stupid sometimes, but make content with my friends. You know, ultimately what it is, is like, these are, these are conversations that we would have no matter what. And we're fortunate enough that, you know, an audience cares about them. An audience loves the same thing we love. And, and that's the way I like to think about this job is, is basically I am. I would be the audience. If I wasn't doing it, I would be listening. And I was listening for years and years and years before I was ever in New York City, before I was working for MLS in this capacity. I loved extra time. I would go back and listen to the entire catalog at work when I was a young professional. And I'd be like, all right, I'm going to listen to these shows from literally four years ago. And I'd be cackling at my desk. Um, so yeah, I, I wake up, I do a ton of research. I have, a, I have a bunch of Google sort of like news alerts that pull in, you know, anything about this, that, or the other. I have a huge Twitter following that I monitor. MLS Reddit is my, uh, is my right-hand man, so to speak. I just, I just ingest as much MLS content as I can, watch interviews, watch games, go back into the different tools we have um, that are provided to us uh, in our job capacity, whether it be, you know, I can go in and search every touch in the final third for Brandon Vasquez. So if we're going to talk about him, I'll go watch stuff like that. And I just... You know, I try to I try to prepare the best way I can. And then, uh, you know, we have a Google Doc that's constantly being updated with, hey, here's a topic we should talk about. Here's something I saw. Here's a link. We jump on that pre-show meeting. We we talk through it all. Uh, Anders corrals us and eventually says, hey, guys, I, I know you just want to chat here, but we got to actually record the show, do the show. Uh, and then the afternoon is is sort of spent figuring out how we're going to promote it and um, going back to sort of the, the preparation process. So like this week, yesterday, I spent the afternoon uh, working on the best attacking trios in MLS. So I was diving into all the, you know, all the basic stats, but more importantly, sort of the advanced stats on, okay, who's got the most non-penalty XG per 90 in the league and trying to sort of rank in my mind and put together who those trios are. So I write a column every week. This week, that's that column. Um, 
you know, yesterday I did the power ranking show with Doyle. So I'll spend a lot of time texting and DMing people to say, hey, do you want to come on and talk about your team? We do that show. We push it out. Uh, Wednesdays are a slower day for me. It's a, it's a big prep day for Thursday and also for my column. And then Thursday, we do it all again with extra time. Friday, I'm off. Usually in the summer, I spend that day with my wife because she gets off at noon. So um, you know, I'll try to go work out in the morning or, or go play golf and then you know, spend the afternoon with my wife. And then weekends are family time until Sunday night. You know, Saturdays, I'm watching games. Sundays, I'm watching games. And then Charlie and I on Sunday will do instant replay and we'll do um almost after dark out of interest how is your golf game what's your handicap uh handicap right now uh, i'm both proud and embarrassed of hovering between 13 and 14 nice. so i shoot in the 80s mostly uh i'm definitely a i'm a maxi or rudy golfer so you know some days man i'm i'm pin hunting baby and i'm hitting all the <laughs> fairways uh other days i'm not and most of the time in round i'm going hot hot cold cold so I have fun with it. I, I grew up playing golf with my dad and with my grandpa, and uh, I, I didn't play at all for 15 years. And then in the pandemic, I needed to get outside. I needed a hobby. I'd gotten hurt playing soccer uh, a good amount in New York City. That was one of my favorite things in New York was playing on men's league teams. Uh, but I got I tore my ankle three times pretty bad, and I, I got a concussion when my wife was pregnant with our first son. And I just said, you know what? Men's league is over for me. It's just not worth the risk. So I was looking for a hobby uh, and my brother played here and it just seemed like seemed like something I should try to go back to because I enjoyed it when I was a kid. And man, I'm straight up addicted. Like I am I'm the annoying person who's like waiting in line somewhere trying to get my takeaway right. You know what I mean? Trying to figure out how to stay shallow with no golf club, you know, shadow swinging. So it's become sort of my second or I guess third. You go family, MLS and then golf, uh, third love. So, yeah, no, I, I love it, man. I love it. Well, you sound like Gareth Bale, whereas Gareth Bale's golf is uh, just under Wales, I think. Yours is third. So that's nice. It's good for you. Good for your family and good for your wife that golf is just tucked she in would, under she them. She might not. Yeah, she might not agree how good she, <laughs> she's become a little bit annoyed with uh, with my golf obsession. Uh, so let's go back then to, um, you know, because I guess in this country, in the UK, everyone's just assumed to be, uh, you know, a soccer fan. So we don't really get asked this question, whereas it's different in North America, where where did your love of soccer come from? What's your kind of earliest soccer memory? Well, let me ask you a question. Who do you support? Who's your club? Uh, in MLS or in England? No, no, and uh, that you grew up with. That that like is your is your club? Oh, uh, Bolton Wanderers. Yeah. See, and and the thing about and I'm I'm making assumptions here. Correct if I'm wrong, but in the UK, when you answer that question, people can automatically sort of pull the string and have an idea of where that love came from probably you know you yeah that's you that, that you grew up around that club your family supported that club like you know you have sort of this origin story that naturally follows and here i don't i don't think that's always the case uh for me my my first memory of soccer is ymca downtown wichita playing with like those foam balls you know the ones that like as you kick them like the outside sort of starts to deteriorate yeah, uh, yeah four yeah. years old i can still remember the old school jersey navy uh was well, a t-shirt navy with uh with like gold lettering ymca down the front vertically so that's the first time i remember playing soccer uh at my grade school we we played soccer every single day at recess uh and it i, I say soccer in a very it was more like who can kick the ball the farthest a lot of kids yelling boot it boot it like so if you were good you know you could kick the ball really far but i was playing soccer um in addition to baseball and basketball from the time i grew up um, but my first professional experience was the Wichita Wings. And you can see if you're watching on video, uh, this Wichita Wings jersey behind me, the Wichita Wings were uh, an NSL team, uh, indoor, not sorry, not NSL, in, uh, MPSL, uh, indoor soccer team, when it was a huge league. You know, you had ten, tens of thousands of people coming to games. Started in 79-80 in Wichita. It was the only professional team in Wichita. At least, you know, we had, we had minor league baseball. But... Um, it, it drew it like packed our local coliseum um but always just sort of held on to that love in the back of my head and then 06 world cup i i went down the rabbit hole and i got obsessed like i just i needed to know where all these players played i needed to understand the club culture at individual clubs and the club culture in individual countries you know i wanted to understand how a guy like michael essian who of course u.s fans saw up close and personal at that world cup um how did he get how did where did he come from like 
what's the ecosystem that got him to this point? And, you know, he has such a, he had such an interesting career, like bouncing between clubs, like going up the ladder. There was just a lot to understand and learn. And I'm an, I'm an obsessive person when it comes to, you know, individual topics. When I was a kid, I got obsessed with fishing. Uh, as a young adult, I got obsessed with soccer and it just has never, it's never waned. And I guess I'm obsessed with golf now. So I'm just following track. So if we go back to 06 then, um, and I know you, before you went to MLS, you were writing, um, is it the uh, student paper of a local paper in yep, KC? Yep. Yeah, uh, about soccer. The KU, the University Daily Kansan. Yeah, so you've um, you've obviously from that point to then, you know, got all this knowledge in and become an ultimate nerd. I mean, what was your earliest memories of MLS at that time? Wizards. I mean, I remember I remember it launching in, in 1996 because I was a I was a sports page kid. You know, that doesn't exist in the same way today that it did then. I mean, back then we didn't have you know, we didn't have the Internet and, and if yeah, it was there, but I didn't have access, easy access to it. And the ecosystem of sort of like sports coverage and news wasn't the same. So I at Wichita Eagle every morning. I, I poured through the Wichita Eagle sports page every single morning. You know, we got the paper every day. And I read the the sports page front to back. So my earliest MLS memories, other than sort of, you know, seeing it on TV and every once in a while it being on, like, you know, you're flipping around, you're like, oh, on ABC or whatever it was, is looking at a sports page. And there was never really written coverage, but you go back to the box scores and there was always the scores and there was always the, the table. And so that's really what I remembered. Uh, but when I moved to Lawrence and then in 06, I was a freshman in college. You know, I started diving into, okay, who are these players in the World Cup the U.S. is playing against? Who are these American players outside the ones that I knew, you know, Landon Donovan, I knew, et cetera, the guys sort of on the forefront? You inevitably start going into down down MLS lines. And I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm super curious about this international ecosystem, but I may be even more curious about this league in my backyard that I don't know that much about despite sort of being a proud sports nerd. And I just started, you know, I started watching, uh, you know, Fox Soccer Channel every, I, I would watch every MLS broadcast on Fox Soccer Channel. I had all these like different pages that I followed. And I don't know if you're familiar with Du Nord from back in the day, but Bruce McGuire up in Minnesota ran this like Lynx blog. And every day he would collect all the different soccer coverage that had happened the day before in, in the U.S., whether it be on MLS or on American players overseas or just generally like, hey, so-and-so had a good article on Man U or, or Juve or whatever it is or on, on the Euros coming up. It would have a listing of all the TV listings. It would have a, a table like the MLS table. And I read that every single day. Um, there were, you know, Ivis Glarset back in those days covered MLS more than anybody else. Andrea Canales was one of those people that I was following every day. You know, there's just so many that just sort of like, you know, it's it's you just sort of follow the, the trail and all of a sudden you're so deep down the hole that um, that it is an obsession. And then uh, I, I didn't I didn't want to be a business major anymore. Accounting 201 just wasn't my jam. And I was like, OK, well, what do I do? What do I love? And I love sports and I loved writing. So I went to the uh, I went to the journalism school. I said, OK, I'm, I'm shifting my major. I went to the University of Kansas and to the sports center and said, I want to write about stuff. What, what can I write about? And my first beat was women's golf, which was awesome. Some actually really cool stories to tell in there. But I also said, hey, do you, what if I wrote a soccer column? Like, you don't have this. You're not going to have this. I'll, I'm, I'll do it. And I just started writing about MLS for that, uh, for the University of Kansas, uh, as well as the national team. And I think some of my one of my first articles was about Guillermo Barrochelotto and this influx of Argentine playmakers into MLS. I wrote one about the 5-4 game at Giants Stadium, the Red Bulls LA Beckham game. Um, and it started to it started to find its way into Du Nord. And I'd read Du Nord every day. And you know, Bruce was digging everywhere. He was like, he wasn't just like, hey, you gotta be a public, yeah, your byline has to be at ESPN or a big national newspaper. He was like, Andrew Wiebe at the University of Daily Kansas writes, you know, that Josie Altador is the next big thing. And when I, I'm reading Du Nord, I had no idea it's coming, and I just like a light bulb just went off for me. I was like, oh, my God, like I, I could do this. And I see Bruce and I saw him at the All-Star game. And I always tell him, man, like I might I, it's a very likely I wouldn't be doing this professionally if it wasn't for you sort of having that little bit of a, a nudge along the track of, and like legitimacy. And I, I just kept I just kept going. I, I wrote a Kansas City blog for free in college because I couldn't get an internship. Uh, KCfootball.blogspot.com. 
and I would drive to the, you know, that's back when in the first, uh, in that recession around 08, I would drive to the training ground. And I remember just all my money, all, I was broke. I was a college student, all my money going to gas. But I tried to cover them as well as I could because I couldn't get an internship. And I was like, well, I'm not going to waste my summer. And I know what I want to do. I want to cover MLS. I just kept sort of chipping away. And, uh, you know, here we are. You know, it's, it's so funny that you tell that story because when we first started about five years ago now, um, you know, we were listening to Extra Time and you gave us a shout out. You said that, you know, you're talking about uh, soccer and MLS and about how it's uh, getting into the, the minds of people abroad. And you said, you went, the, there's this MLS UK show and these English guys are talking about it. And that meant so much to us. And it gave us the confidence at the time to go, wow, like, yeah, we can do this. So it's funny how it's full circle. And you gave us that moment, uh, well, five years ago now. So uh, I guess this is my first chance to thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think what, my favorite thing about about covering MLS is this really big diverse community that cares about it and meeting those people and having those like inevitably there's these connections between all of us and having those moments where i go see bruce and i'm like bruce you didn't know but this and and this moment here is is like yeah man, wow that's awesome i'm so happy that even just that little thing was able to give you guys the, like the validation and the confidence to say yeah this is you know we enjoy doing this we like talking about this together we like watching the league but let's make this thing bigger and it's just it's just only getting bigger and you i'm sure you feel like you have a little skin in the game right like you've been around for a while you've cared about for a while like we think about it in terms of, of the united states and growing it here and you're thinking about i'm sure in some ways of like spreading some of that interest and some of that that uh you know that love in the uk and i'm sure you meet people in the uk they're like hey i've been listening to your show that helped me get into mls yeah, exactly. And and this is the thing in the UK is that, as you can imagine, people are thinking, well, we've got the Premier League. Why would we look at not only the MLS, but La Liga, Bundesliga, these established leagues? People are like, well, we don't need to bother with that because we've got the greatest league on the, on the planet. Yet, uh, for me, with MLS, I think, no, it's not in competition with the Premier League. And it's the perfect league because, let's face it, you've got a whole day of watching English uh, soccer, English football, and then if you're not tired of it, which most of us aren't, come 8, 9, 10 o'clock in the evening, you've got MLS. And MLS is starting until the early hours of the morning. So it's a perfect league to run alongside uh, the Premier League. And we are finding more and more people. I mean, obviously, I'd love to say that it's, it's you know, we're putting it out there and we're sending it to the masses. But I think the likes of Gareth Bale and Wayne Rooney are doing a better job at that than we are. But even with them going over... Um, you know, and hopefully now we can get some younger players going over as well. Um, you know, hopefully it can open it up to the masses here in the UK. Um, it actually gets me on to my next question. Um, bearing in mind you've been working with MLS for about 10, over 10 years now. Where we are right now, how does it compare to back then? Unrecognizable. Just completely, like the, fe it's like a fever dream, man. It's, it's. You know, the amount we're over, there's more than 10 clubs that have been added in that time. There's more than 10 soccer specific stadiums that have been added in that time. The, um, the level at which MLS is able to export talent and import talent is, uh, I mean, I, I covered a big press conference in Kansas City when I was covering them when they signed Jefferson from Brazil, who was a literal nobody in Brazil as a designated player. Like, just think, like, the idea that multiple MLS teams would be making $10 million moves in a transfer window, let alone that one would be making that move, just, if you would, just absolutely foreign con concept at that time. The growth that this league has undergone in a decade is, it's shocking. It's absurd. And it's, uh, it's something I think the entire world is, is taking notice of. Certainly, Liga MX is. You hear... Uh, Mikel Ariola talk about like the growth curve and and just the the pace at which this league is improving and investing. I mean it's it's unrecognizable. And I also point to the fan culture around it as well. We had some great fan groups from the very start in this league from '96 on, but I think throughout the league every, it takes time to build community. I think every team is starting to sort of at least on the fan side understand a little bit better who they are. And those communities just keep growing. 
and those communities are going to be what ultimately sustains this league long term. Like, you know, the investment from the owners is so important. No, I'm never going to discount that. That's fundamental to the growth of the league. But ultimately, you need people to care and you need people to make it an important part of their life, of their habits, of their friend groups, uh, uh, you know, make it a core part of what they enjoy outside of, you know, family, um, friends and professional. And that you hope there's some overlap there. You know, there's a ton of people that, that like, you know, their friends are other people in the supporters group. You know, they, they maybe met their spouse through this game. And those are the moments where I'm like, okay, well, that is soccer making it in America. You know, the transfer fees, the stadiums, all that stuff. To me, those are all important tools to ultimately build this community so that, you know, when my sons are adults, like, it's just very normal that there would be, you know, hey, you're going to. You go to your people at work, you're like, hey, you're going to watch the Sporting KC game. We're going to watch it on Saturday. You know, hey, yeah, I know all these different people that are season ticket holders. Hey, when I talk about the star of the team to anybody in a city, they know. Like, that's not a mystery to them. They're like, oh, yeah, Johnny Russell. Like, he's my guy. You know, like that. That's where we're building towards. And we have that in so many places now where it just it didn't exist 10 years ago. You know, 10 years ago here, Kansas City Wizards. You could drive around the city for a week. You might see one or two logos. That's it. Like maybe a bumper sticker, you know, maybe a random person with gear, but maybe not. And now with Sporting Kansas City, you drive around, it's everywhere. It's on cars. It's on hats. It's on shirts. I go to my kid's daycare and like I walk in and that kid's got a KC, Sporting KC shirt on and all their parents are season ticket holders. And it's not a, it's not a mystery to anyone anymore. You know, not every city is like this, but in Kansas City, it's, it's a, it's a vital part of the sporting fabric. People are real fans. They care about it. They want coverage of it. They watch the games. They go to the games. What happens in those games matters. Um, and to me, that that's what signifies the growth more than anything else. There are more people that care about it more deeply. And I consider it my job to grow that, you know, grow that audience, to grow that group. And that's selfish. Because I'm part of the audience. I want, you know, what I want is to be able to talk to people about that. I want to go to Minnesota and have a live show and, and buy beers for people and sit there and just talk about soccer with them. Th those are my people. Like, that, they are me. I am them. We're the same. Um, I just, I want, I want it to feel the same as if you were to, you know, in Kansas City, talk about NFL with somebody. And everybody's a Chiefs fan. And everybody cares about what happens. And everybody's waiting for that first game. And everybody has plans on that Sunday. They're going, oh, I'm going to go tailgate. We're going to this bar. We're having a party at our house. Like, that's what I want club soccer to be in this country. And below that, I want every kid that has ability and talent to have an opportunity to capitalize on that talent and to, to have a realistic dream to say, I can play professional soccer. I can be the best soccer player I can possibly be. And that's what we're building. So uh, with that in mind then, and bearing in mind that obviously 2026 uh, is coming up with a World Cup, um, where do you see soccer being in the States in another 10 years? I mean, I, I, I see it. I see the growth curve continuing. You know, that's the most fun thing about this sport for me as far as professional side goes. I don't see there being like, a, you know, hey, here's the cap. Like once you hit this, oh boy, you can't grow from there. Like, you know, I, I think the sky is the limit. Like we are in a lot of ways, the ones that are behind as far as the culture goes, as far as the level of uh, commitment and care from everyday people goes you know the rest of the world where you live you mentioned it like it's just assumed you know you're weird if you're not a soccer fan football fan for you guys that's weird probably people are like oh really you're not um that's I, that's where we're going uh and and i think you know for mls the people that care about us the most uh deeply the most engaged tend to be younger people and i think that's a good sign uh, you're starting to, you know, reap the the rewards of like 96 uh, adopters and like longtime soccer fans because there've been a soccer fans in this country way before 1996. I mean, this is we're talking, you know, people that were pulling this this uh, this ship along 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, those people have got their kids into it. Their kids have got. It's now become sort of this self fulfilling chain. I only see it going one way, man. We're gonna invest. We're gonna have beautiful buildings to play it in. We're gonna have beautiful training facilities. Our our kids are going to have wonderful facilities to grow. Coaching is only getting better. The level of play and the level of player in the league is only going to get better. So if we're here right now and we've come from here, you know, give us the 2026 World Cup. Give us, you know, the the demographics of our country that just, you know, 
there's a huge group of people here that love soccer that uh, maybe aren't aren't as tuned into MLS as they can be. Give us all that. We're only it's it's going straight up, man. It's going straight up. And people might say, hey, you're biased. Uh, yeah, I am biased because I love it and I want everybody else to love it. And I can't understand why you wouldn't love it. Uh, but we're we're going up, man. We're going up. And even looking at the World Cup, even for me as a you know a guy in the UK, and I know I'm biased because I'm into MLS, but I can't wait for the World Cup in 2026 because I know how good a job you you guys will do. Everything's bigger in America. Everything's more, you know, you you put so much into everything, and we've got the biggest tournament in the world in soccer coming on your doorstep. So I'm so excited for it. Um, I want to talk about MLS right now. Uh, you mentioned there about brilliant facilities to to play in. You were there last week in Minnesota at one of those. Um, I want to talk about All-Star Week because for us in the UK, this is, again, it's an alien concept that we don't really... Uh, I know other sports in the US, you, you know, you have it in basketball and, and whatever. Over here, we don't have it in any of our sports. So tell us about All-Star Week. Tell us about everything around it coming to the game and then the game itself. All-Star Week's one of my favorite weeks of the year. And it's because you basically have all these people from all over the league just sort of converging in one place, whether it be fans, whether it be, you know, administrators, whether it be players. It's just sort of this, you know, it's it's like a party that everybody's invited to. And it is a party. That's one of the other benefits of it as well. So just seeing all those people uh, is just is a wonderful week for me. The amount of work uh, can be a little intimidating at times, but you know, that's really what gets me going. Like, I like to do that stuff. I like to be busy. I like to uh, be challenged and my brain have to switch over a ton. But I think Minnesota is interesting, too, because I was talking about people that, like, pulled things along in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I want to shout out specifically Buzz Lagos uh, here. And if, if your listeners don't know who Buzz is, he's a guy that basically built – he built youth soccer and he built – uh, in a lot of ways, like the current soccer culture and certainly the current professional soccer culture in Minnesota, basically with his bare hands. Uh, you know, you had the, the kicks way back in the day, but the kicks went away and he sort of built this huge like youth camps to youth leagues. And then this elite team that included, you know, his son, Manny and uh, Amos McGee, who's now administrator with the team on the sporting side and Tony Sane, who's an absolute just legend in MLS and, and Bundesliga and USMNT terms, and now giving so much back to that community. Like, so they built all this. And so I, when I talk to Manny, who's now working for the team as well on the business side, and he walks into that stadium that is just freaking gorgeous and perfect and so well thought out and built for experiencing the game first. He's like, I, you know, I truly never thought that this would happen as they sort of cobbled it together on credit cards to have the thunder and all these teams in the lower divisions sort of stay alive for years and years and years. But I think that that's the story of soccer in the U S is of these dedicated people who sacrificed and, you know, worked through odds and just made it happen now getting the reward and Allianz field and all-star week. And this, this incredible soccer culture that's brewing and building and only getting bigger in the twin cities. That is their just reward. And, uh, I was at the first game ever in that stadium uh, and now to come back and be at this game and to talk to people and see people and understand what that team means to people. I mean, to me, that's what all stars about. And, and then it's also about seeing my friends. I talked about what it means to record extra time with these guys, but to see Charlie and spend a week with him, um, you know, having breakfasts and dinners and getting drinks after all the work is over. And, you know, Dave is one of basically my oldest friends uh, at this point and and he's about to get married and and to sort of talk to him and reconnect with him in person and people like Anders and, and Abner Aceves who I've known forever and ever and helps lead the content side over at MLS now it's just uh it's a time to sort of reconnect and refill and remind ourselves okay these are the people these are the people I grind with every day this is what it means and these are the people that truly care about the content the best moment of the of the week came at the Black Heart of St. Paul on Saturday night or Sunday night Saturday yeah Sunday night when we did our first live show in ages, Jason Seguini reminds me they used to do them, but I don't count those because I don't remember them. So this is the first one ever. And to, to hear them basically say, like, when I work on Mondays, I listen to Extra Time. When I run on Thursdays, I listen to Extra Time. And I have podcasts, and those mean a lot to me in my own personal life that, like, fill time in my days. And I have connections to those hosts. And, like, I sort of feel like I know them, even if I've never met them. To have people come to us and say the same thing is just so humbling and sort of shocking because you just never know, you know, like 
I sit here in my basement with a camera in front of me. I don't know what this might mean to somebody. I don't know what part of their life it might fill. I don't know if maybe they live in a place where nobody likes MLS, but this is how they feel connected to it. I don't know if they're just getting into it and they're like, oh, this is how I how I grew to love the league. Um, so to hear that and feel that and have those conversations and to share those moments and buy beers for those people, uh, that's a long rambling way of saying it. it was an awesome week and I had a great time and I was exhausted for like five days afterwards, but I'm finally recharged. Yeah, it's definitely, for me and Elliot, it's definitely on our bucket list. It's something that we want to do, whether it be in D.C. next year or the year after or whenever. Ooh, D.C., Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney, the head coach. Well, there we go. He's, you know, he's going to be in charge. And obviously, if we get a media pass, we'll get to speak to him. So it's it's all there. It's all, uh, it all, uh, all signs are going to D.C. for us anyway. Um, do you think, I, I know the last few years, you know, I know with everything that's going on globally, playing against Liga MX has kind of been an easy option for the All-Star game. Can you see it going back to the way it was where it's, you're playing one of the, the big time, you know, big teams in Europe? Or will he, is this what we're going to see for a few years now? I'm more, you know, look, Commissioner Don Garber basically was non-committal about the future of that. And I won't be a part of making this decision. So I can just give you my opinion on it. I do really like the Liga MX MLS version because I think it, one, it gives, you're saying, hey, we don't have all-star games in the UK. Well, they didn't in, in Liga MX either in Mexico. So I, I like that it creates that for them as well. I like that it extends the relationship between the two leagues. It's going to be so fundamental to the growth of both in the coming decades via Leagues Cup. Big fan of that, obviously. Um, but what Don said that I kind of identify with is that you know, maybe this isn't as crucial as it has been the last two years to cement that relationship once League's Cup starts, because summer is going to be very MLS versus Liga MX from 2023 on, and you have CCL. So there's these other opportunities to compete. I would be down for it to stay the same. I love the format. It's awesome. I also would be absolutely in to go back even further than what you're talking about. I'm less interested in the like the European team side of it. I'd be more interested in finding a way to make it East versus West or, you know, U.S. and Canada versus the world or CONCACAF versus the world. There are enough players uh, in this league that are stars, that have incredible quality, that people want to pay to see and will tune in to watch. Um, I, would be, I would be fascinated to see what would happen if we went back to that format. I mean, you just look at the guys that weren't there this year. And I know they came in the summer transfer window, so, you know, but next year they'll be fully sort of vested. Uh, who knows? Maybe Gareth will be here, but, you know, you talk about it, Gareth Bale, who wasn't there, Lorenzo Insigne, uh, Bernadeschi, um, Cucho, like, all, you know, even guys like like a guy like Pato, who's been having a great year. You know, Diego Rubio is a name that people are like, oh, wait, who? But like in Colorado, he's having one of the most under the radar, like awesome attacking years in the whole league. Like, and I could just go on and on and on and on and on. We have enough good players. We have enough stars to make it a really fun, you know, interleague all-star game. And I think that would recognize more guys. Um, I hope as the league grows, that will have, um, you know, more traction. I think the players would like it as well. I am not as interested in going back to the European team. I just think the format doesn't quite work. They're in preseason. They're an actual team. Most of those guys have played together versus like an all-star team is just kind of coming together for like a couple training sessions and rocking on. That's why the Liga MX MLS one is so good because both teams are in the same boat. And I think that's what would make the, you know, MLS on MLS all-star game uh, in a similar way. So, you know, I, regardless, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be fun no matter what it is. But I think I'd, I'd put my personal vote in for MLS on MLS if it's not MLS versus Liga MX. I've got to say, I really like uh, the East v. West idea. I know that's the how we do it in basketball, isn't it, in NBA? Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I think the the European teams going over, it is going to be a preseason friendly for them, no matter what. And I have I've got to say, I've loved the intensity that's there with the MLS v Liga MX. You know, and I know it's friendly, and obviously the friendly atmosphere about it. But when it's on the pitch, you can tell just a few tackles are going in, and yeah, it really means so much to both sides. So it has been enjoyable to watch. Uh, before you go, Andrew, I just want to ask you about MLS this season and where we are. Um, You've mentioned a few players LAFC have brought in there, uh, Bale, Kalini. Is it theirs to lose this year, MLS Cup? I think so. You know what? What LAFC fans would probably get a little nervous about is that it's been theirs to lose before, and they lost it. 
right? And that's sort of the beauty of this league. Like, you know, Doyle said an extra time um, on Monday, he was like, or no, maybe, you know, on, on power rankings yesterday, he was like, just give them the shield. They've won the shield. It's theirs. And I, I basically agree with that, even sort of with their hands, quote unquote, tied behind their back. If you don't have Bale or Kalini or, you know, right now, Denise Buanga, who, I mean, they just went out and they went out and added like a $7 million player to a team that was already crushing the league. Um, but they don't care that much. I think they'll be proud of the shield, but it's not their ultimate goal. So I, I think it is theirs to lose, but Philadelphia are absolutely right there to win their first ever cup defensively. They are so stout and they're way underrated on the attacking side and their style of play. They all believe in it. And Jim Curtin's a wonderful coach. Um, but the beautiful thing about this league is that it's not like I could, you know, sit here and be like, well, man city's winning it. If they are Liverpool and if they don't, it's just a scandal. You know what I mean? Like it's a completely unbelievable. Any, literally anybody that can make the playoff could win it. You get into the playoffs. You're one of 14 teams with an opportunity close to nothing these days will surprise me in MLS because I watch it too often. I make too many predictions that come up, you know, extremely wrong. That's the beauty of it. The regular season is the context and it's so fun to watch the regular season. Like the last two weekends have been 50 plus goal weekends and absolute just, you know, I was going to curse, but I don't, I don't know if I can on this show, but insanity. And then the playoffs take that and they're like, Oh, you thought that was crazy. Okay, let's ratchet up the stakes even more, and let's see what happens. Let's put it in the blender and uh, and see what comes out on the other side. So uh, I think it's LAFC's to lose. I would put Philly right behind them as sort of my one-two. And then after that, I'll believe just about anything. Because if the Sounders make the playoffs, can't count them out. If if the Revs do, you know, Carlos Hill can change games on his own. Gustavo Bo could get healthy. You know, and Giacomo Veroni could could come good. Like, there's just, like, the the, the word could is so intrinsic to this league because anything could happen. I could believe literally anything, and that's where the entertainment value comes from. You were talking about when games are in the UK. You know, we always joke about MLS after dark here, but truly it's all MLS after dark there, and that's got to be, I mean, that's that's the vibes, man. Like, the Premier League can be a little bit predictable at times. This, never, never, ever predictable. Exactly, yeah. and that's why we love it so much is that you're right, you know, LAFC, they will win Sports Shield, they've won it before, but then they didn't even make MLS Cup, uh, you know, you're looking at the sides just on the outside, I mean, Seattle will make playoffs because I believe the league will implode that one year when they don't eventually make playoffs. Yeah, just crumble. Um, yeah, <laughs> Seattle in the playoffs is keeping this league uh, alive at the moment, but, um, you know, all jokes aside, you know, you look at, as you've said there, Philadelphia, uh, uh, playing so well. Austin are another side who, if it wasn't for LAFC, people would be talking a lot more about them. So it's so exciting uh, heading into this this final part of the season to see which teams suddenly start making those runs. Um, thank you so much for your time, Andrew. We really do appreciate it. Before you go, I just want to ask, because you've, you have been working for MLS for over 10 years, what has been your proudest moment working for MLS? I mean, some of the I know some of the people you've interviewed, including our very own David Beckham, uh, you know, you've had big moments. You've been there for the the big moments in the league as well. What is your proudest moment? Uh, you know, I actually don't think I really even need to think too hard about this one. It's not anybody I've interviewed, and I've interviewed you know David and and Rooney and Thierry and you know Drugba and all these guys. Been so fortunate to do that. I've been able to host super drafts and you know uh, MLS Cup shows and you know some proudest expansion drafts like who can say that uh, just the nerdery that i love my proudest moment and you maybe can see behind me uh here if, like right here below i guess that's my right shoulder that's a photo of nani uh in orlando city at the mls's back tournament in the moment of silence following um you know george floyd my proudest moment is after mls players boycotted games we, you know, I, I, extra time. One, we were given the wherewithal and the space to talk about that in a real way. And, and you know, I don't, I give a ton of credit to the executives um, at MLS above me and, and the league culture as a whole to say, like, this is something we should talk about. And I think if I remember correctly, we were able to, on short notice, um, get seven players from all different teams, walks of life experiences to come on the show and talk about the nitty gritty of making that decision, why they made that decision, what it meant to them, and what the current sort of climate in, in the US and Canada 
uh, how they've experienced it now and in the past and how they hope to experience it in the future and, and how racism plays a role in their lives. That is my most proud moment, that those players saw the platform that we have, that we've built, and said, I can truly go on here and tell my story in a real way, that this is a place where I will be, um, that I'll be respected and that will give me the space to say what I need to say. And to have those guys say yes to that and give their time to that and share sort of, you know, some of the deepest core parts of themselves and of their anxieties and fears and worries and dreams and hopes on our show, that is by far my most proud moment uh, at MLS. Uh, so that's actually a pretty a pretty easy answer for me. And that's it. What a great note to end on. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on the MLS UK show. I, I mean, I don't need to say it because if you're watching us, then you already know who Andrew is, but extra time. Uh, the MLS podcast is available on your podcast providers. You can also watch every episode, the full episode on YouTube. So check them out as well. Obviously, Andrew talks on MLSsoccer.com and he's on Twitter with the power rankings and all of that stuff with Charlie Davis. So, yeah. So there you go. I feel I feel like I'm patronizing saying all this because everyone will already know this. No, but, no, hey. this is the same thing. People, I I meet people like at All Star Game, and I'm like, "Hi, I'm Andrew." And they're like, "Oh, you, to, you don't have to introduce yourself." I'm like, "No, I I do. Like, I do. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. We're both. We're all just. We're all here. We're all just fans, man. We all like the same thing, and that's the beautiful thing about it. Henry, thank you so much for having me on. I told you before we recorded. Sometimes I feel like I don't have anything to say because I'm hosting so many things and trying to get other people to say what they think. Um, but it's awesome to chat with you. It's awesome to hear and, and understand your story a little bit better and uh, to be a part of the MLS UK show. So thanks, man. MLS UK show with Elliot Holman and Henry Hewitt. So there we go. There's my chat with Andrew Weeby. Thanks so much to Andrew for giving us his time. So much of his time as well. I love that chat and hopefully you enjoyed it as well. Uh, remember, you can listen to Extra Time every week on uh, your podcast provider. Search Extra Time MLS and you'll find it on there. Um, it's it's the best play. If you are getting into MLS, if you're watching this now from the UK or even in the States and you're like, I want to get into MLS, I want to learn more about it, what goes on every week, that's the best place to do it. So check them out. Um, it's uh, Andrew, Caelan Carr's on there, Matt Doyle, uh, David Goss as well. Loads of people who really know what they're talking about with the league. Um, right, next time we're hopefully going to have another interview and then after that Elliot will be making his return as uh, the MLS UK show gets back to normal. It feels like it's been ages since we've done a full episode. It's been even longer since we've done a stoppage time episode so I can't wait to get back on it. If you uh, want to leave us a rating on your podcast provider, if you've enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes then please do. It really helps us out. But there's one rule and one rule only. Elliot will kill me if I don't say it. Five stars only. LA Galaxy style, uh, that's what we're after. Leave a rating, leave a review. We really appreciate it. If you're watching on YouTube and you've enjoyed this, please uh, subscribe to our channel. Please like the video. Click the notification bell. Again, it really does mean a lot uh, and it does help us out. Uh, right, I'll be back next time. I've been Henry Hewitt and I've got one thing left to say. See ya. Sports Social Podcast Network. <laughs>